Play Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. Chris, we are at the tail end of a rough week for the Mets, and unfortunately, the forecast ahead doesn't look too much better. Since we last spoke, the Mets lost 3 of 4 to the Cardinals, and they are about to lose 2 of 3 to the Atlanta Braves. Now, both those teams are are not exactly you know, jokes this season, so it's not like they're losing to the Marlins, but especially in the Cardinals series, those looked like winnable games, and the Mets had the lead or was were tied going into the eighth inning in each of those games. So how are you feeling about the team? What's the pulse for you as of, you know, Wednesday evening at 10.15 p.m.? Uh, it's not as good as it was last week. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I guess, to stick to my mindset on all this and being consistent with the way I tend to feel earlier in a season, and, and granted, we're getting closer to the midway point, but, you know, the season's not over. It's kind of hard to keep saying that, uh, especially during a stretch like this, and it's not like there was a great stretch in between the last stretch that felt like this and then this one. So yeah, I guess where I'm at is it's a little bit premature to say who are the Mets selling. And I, we, we, we might end up talking about that on this episode in the next few weeks. Uh, the trade deadline isn't that far away in the grand scheme of things, but it's still at a point that, one good week could put them back in a competitive spot, right? But how do you trust that that's not going to just turn back into what they are, which is not an awful team, not the worst team in baseball, not even close to that by any means, but do they have a, a ceiling that's higher than fifth place team for the second wild card, where the games look not that bad three, four, five, six games out of it, but the number of teams in between them in that kind of spot is uh, is great. So, yeah, I'm, I guess I came into the season a little more down than usual to, to start the year. And that was despite liking some of the moves they've made. I'm not ready to declare a winner or a loser in the Diaz-Cano trade. I think both of those guys are better than what they've looked like so far for the Mets. So, yeah, I guess I am exactly where I expected to be, considering the way I was thinking about the team coming into the season. But I'm still not quite entirely resigned to calling it over. I think that's a very, a very reasonable place to be. Um. I guess my thoughts about this team have been pretty scattered because, as you mentioned, there have been stretches where they've looked dominant and then stretches where they've looked just pathetic. And I don't think that they are the dominant team they have hinted at, nor the pathetic team that we sometimes um, decide they are. I think that it's becoming more clear what the problems with the team are, and I think that that's going to be instructive for addressing these problems, hopefully, 
either mid-season or during the off-season to avoid this for next for you know for the 2020 season if it can't be salvaged for the 2019 season um to me that the two big issues are the bullpen and the manager and those two things go hand in hand probably more than than I would have given credence to earlier this season but I think that Callaway has just been I mean incredibly bad at managing his bullpen and and not just he's not a guy who just leaves pitchers out there for too long though he does do that he's not just a guy who maybe uses too many pitchers in the average game though he does also do that he seems to be bad at every single aspect of managing a pitching staff and I don't know how that's possible because he was such an effective pitching coach but you know for those that are watching tonight's game Steven Matz looked good until he didn't and it was very clear when Matz lost when when he lost his his mojo whatever you want to call it for the game tonight and Callaway was slow to get him out of there and that's happened a couple of times this year, not just with Matt's, but in general, you know, Callaway has been a little bit slower with the hook, which in general, I'm I'm not opposed to a manager who lets his starting pitcher pitch more. But I think there comes a point when someone is clearly done and Matt's hit that point. I would say as soon as Donaldson hit the home run tonight, Matt should have been out of there. Yeah, and, that's fair. You know, and, and he was... And he was left in there for, was it three more batters? At least two more batters, who then hit just absolute ropes off of him. So at any point in there, you Callaway should have said, okay, he's done. we got to get him out of there. But so, so, so he's bad at knowing when his pitcher is done. He's bad at, I, I would argue he is, and we, we joked about this a lot at the beginning of the season, he's overusing double switches still. So like tonight he pulled... Ahmed Rosario from the game uh, when he got Mats out of the game and put Daniel Echevarria in there. And, you know, well, Echevarria is not a terrible downgrade, there was no reason to pull Rosario from the game. Just no reason. It wasn't late enough that you, that, you know, that you needed to worry about a pitcher getting multiple innings, you know, which I don't even think, did that even happen? Did they use a pitcher for multiple innings tonight? Uh, a they, pitcher? they did. Flexen went two innings, but he went two. Okay. Still. Yeah. It just, it, it seems to me like, you know, he's overusing, overusing that he's not great at rotating guys in and out of usage. He tends to overuse the same guys much in the way that Terry Collins did. And I'm sure most managers do, but you know, I watch the Mets every day. So that's my point of reference. Um, you know, he, he's just, he, he, burned out guys in the last two seasons by using single inning relievers for multiple innings. He's just really, really bad at managing the bullpen. I don't know how else to say it. Um, and I think that his, his lack of learning curve with this is the most troubling part. Cause I think everybody last season gave him the benefit of the doubt that, you know, he had, he had worked in the American league. And so Double switches, pinch hitting, all those things were not as familiar to him as they would be for somebody who spent, you know, the length of their career in the National League. So, sure, I can I can buy part of that. We are supposed to get him an accomplished bench coach uh, 
in Jim Riggleman that would help him avoid some of those mistakes he made last year. And he seems to be making as many or not, if not more mistakes this year than he did last year. So I don't, I don't know if there's any salvaging Callaway as a manager. And I know that that sounds harsh for a guy who's only in his second year managing, but he, I mean, yeah, the Mets have had a lot of first year managers the last few go rounds, you know, um, you know, we, we had, uh, uh, Willie Randolph, you know, was a, was a first time manager and Willie Randolph made plenty of mistakes. And Willie Randolph coached in the, in the American league. So, you know, it was similar mistakes happening, but you, at least I never got the opinion that Willie Randolph had no idea what he was doing. I thought that he was, you know, he was not quite the manager he thought he was, but right. you got you got the impression that he was he had some sort of sense of how the game works. There are times it looks like Callaway has no clue what he's doing out there. Just absolutely no clue. And so I think that un- until they address that problem, nothing else is going to change for this team. But the unfortunate reality is I think the bullpen might be so borked that no matter what they do this season, there's no real way out for them. Right. And I think the Callaway thing is something that speaks to the kind of difference between a coach and a manager, right? He had a really good reputation. The pitchers were getting results when he was in Cleveland. They liked him. He had this personality that, you know, seems warm and positive. And he's a young manager coming in off of uh, the tenure of Terry Collins, who was one of the older managers in the game. Not that there's necessarily anything good or bad about either of those things, but it was a change. And yet here we are. Uh, I guess if anything, I'm concluding that pitching coaches have nothing to do with the decisions that get made (laughs) during a game. Right. Well, and to be fair, and and they, they might, but it just, if I'm going based on Callaway alone, right, it, it seems like they're not. No, and you know, there, there are a number of people who have come out, you know, and you hear this every, you hear this all the time, but you've heard it a lot the last few uh, months, which is that the most important thing a manager does has nothing to do with the on-field product, that it's all about setting a tone in the clubhouse, and you know, and that Callaway does that very well, and the Mets wanted somebody who was going to have a better control of the clubhouse. Then Collins had at the end where there was, you know, famously a lot of discord there. And, you know, that all could be true, but that doesn't, even if the off the field stuff is more important, I don't think you can deny the importance of the on the field stuff. And he's not, he's not a good manager on the field. Yeah. And it doesn't help that. And we saw it on display in the game tonight. He has, a third base coach who is consistently making bad decisions. I don't know if the Mets necessarily would have won if Gary DeSarcina didn't make a terrible send call to get J.D. Davis thrown out of home plate by 15 feet. But Tagged down on his nuts, too. <laughs> yeah, that's the kicker. Yeah. But who knows how that inning plays out if he doesn't send him, if the bases are loaded. If bases loaded, then, yeah, exactly. Who... It's baseball. It could have been nothing. The Mets could have scored zero runs, but they could have broken out and they could have been the ones ahead and and put the Braves in a spot where they were pressing to come back. Uh, The opposite of that happened. So it just seems like 
they can't do anything right when it comes to making decisions lately. And it's frustrating to have that combined with to what you were speaking about with the bullpen. It's not like people weren't uh, spending the entire offseason talking about the bullpen. And being excited about Edwin Diaz, I think the jury's familiar signing was a little more split. Maybe it was even a majority who are uneasy about it, but I don't know. That 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 seemed like a reasonable move to me. But whether you were supportive of that or not, the quantity of good relievers they brought in was insufficient. And that was obvious all winter, and we talked about it ad nauseum. And here we are. And... I and, just don't know. I don't know what else to say. And what's what's especially galling about that to me is that, you know, we can't really judge the tenure of Brody Van Wagenen for a number of years, right? But one of the things that Van Wagenen did in the off season, which I I really applauded and has and has played out nicely this season, is the amount of depth he gave the team in terms of veterans signed to minor league deals. You know, we have seen Rajay Davis in the majors. We've seen Carlos Gomez now for some time in the majors. You know, um, Danny Hechevarria. These are players that were signed for very, very cheap contracts and have helped the team. I'm not going to say that any of them have been the savior of the team, but they've helped the team quite a bit. It's, I don't understand how he could have looked at the offensive roster and said, you know, we're not as deep as I'd want to be. Let's bring in some extra help and not do the same thing with the bullpen. I just, yeah. I just don't see how that's possible, especially because I don't think the bullpen arms would have cost any more. Right. Well, that's the thing. Uh, I think sometimes it's unfair if fans look and say, well, if you took back the money on this guy, this guy, and this guy, sure, and used yes, it on these yeah. guys instead, hindsight is a beautiful thing. But it couldn't look worse. <laughs> Jed, Lowry, <laughs> Jed Lowry might not ever play a game for the Mets. It doesn't seem like he's got any chance of getting back this season. Hopefully we're proven wrong. But... He doesn't play center fields. He doesn't play the outfields, even if you slide somebody else into center. Maybe he's significantly better than Frazier. Maybe he's better than Cano, although I know who I would bet on out of the two. But who knows if he's going to play a game. So it, it couldn't possibly look worse to have the guy who really seemed like you were adding somebody extra in, in the part of the field that you maybe didn't need it. Ultimately, I guess he was kind of an insurance plan for Alonzo. And, and McNeil Dom's and Dom Smith and uh, <laughs> Frazier. Yeah. And, you know, but it, oh, it's, yeah. but, but it's if funny. Alonzo and McNeil flop and then you say, all right, Frazier and Smith are playing first and Lowry's going to play third and Cano's at second with Rosario at short, right? It, there's a few different ways. Any of those scenarios, you could plug him in and it works. But he did seem like the extra player. And as although I don't like doing this, 
for the amount of money he's making, they could have signed one or two other relievers who had better chances of being good than Drew Gagne. Yes, or they could have gone after, you know, five or six guys on the scrap heap and you hope you catch lightning in the bottle. They didn't even do that, though. Right. And I'm not saying that I would prefer the scrap heap option, but it's an option, you know. Uh, but what I wanted to say about about Lowry quickly was I thought of a, I thought of this earlier today. You know what the Lowry signing is like the cursed version of? It's mm. the cursed version of the Edwin Encarnacion trade that the Yankees just made. Yeah, <laughs> the Yankees just saw there was a player available who, in the abstract, can make their team better, and they went out and got that guy, even though there's not really a place for him. But they felt like, you know, it makes their team better and it's a bit of an insurance policy if their guys that are coming back from the injured list don't come back super healthy. The difference between the trades, though, is that the Yankees waited until there was a reason and B, a bargain value there to be had. That's a very, very different situation than what the Mets did with Lowry. Yeah. It must be nice. <laughs> and and we talked about it last week too when in um in reference to the bullpen. The Yankees had good relievers and they went out and signed two good ones to contracts that weren't the most expensive in the world but were by the standards of free agency over the last couple of years kind of hefty contracts. And yeah, uh, there's still an argu- argument to be made if you're a Yankees fan that they should have been more willing to send uh, more players and spend more money because they're the Yankees and they can print money, right? Especially when they're doing well. Uh, and I don't want to make this into a whole Yankees podcast, but <laughs> but it just sucks to be that close to it, and we're we're still just over a week out from. That Subway Series doubleheader. We're not that far, you know, a couple of weeks away from the next two games that they'll play against each other. So it's, it's the time of the year that they seem the most relevant. And uh, yeah, it, it would be nice to do that sort of thing. And when it got to me the most was when you would have Mets fans, Mets fans, not the front office, not a Wilpon, not Brody Van Wagen in. A fan of the team saying, ah, Kimbrell's not going to sign here. He wants to close. You know what you could do? You could sign him and go say, hey, Edwin Diaz, you're our eighth inning guy. You're under team control for four years. That's the way it is. Yeah. Sorry. Or you can tell Craig Kimbrell, you know what? We like you in the eighth inning. We're going to pay you more than any other team's offering. And I think either one of those scenarios can play out just fine. And the same thing with Keuchel. Go sign him. If everybody stays as healthy as they have, which even with Syndergaard with his uh, hamstring thing, it's kind of remarkable how healthy the starting rotation has been. Even if that were the case, and you have Keuchel, uh, Jason Vargas. You're going to go be kind of the, uh, the long man, the spot starter, until the need arises. And then when that comes up, you're our first option to, to go in. And as much as I don't like Jason Vargas's uh, 
performance as a pitcher, I would absolutely take him over Wilmer Font or Walker or Lockett in the um, sixth, seventh starter kind of role. Yeah. So I just don't. I, I I don't understand if, and no team has this. But if you had five pitchers who averaged two hundred innings a year, and had no red flags for health issues that would typically affect pitchers, and all of that, sure, you you could say eh, I don't really. Don't really see a way that that guy's going to sign here because he just doesn't see a way that he's going to play. But they were not in a position that these parts of the roster couldn't be addressed. And we're at a point that whether or not they address the infield properly is even up for question. And that's the area that they had depth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Man, I I know that every team has their struggles and frustrations, but it just seems like every year the Mets find a new way. And uh this what this year is definitely the bullpen year. Just the absolute atrocity that is the Mets bullpen. Um so let let's play let's play a little game here, Chris. If if you were given full control of the Mets bullpen for the next two weeks, uh-huh. you can you can you can deal in any quantity that is that is Mets property. I'll even I'll even waive the forty man requirement here. Okay. So you can you can help the Mets achieve their optimal bullpen performance over the, from now till the end of June. What do you do? You think that there is a there's something you could do to help to help stem the tide, or is this a, you know is this irreverent? irrevocably I'm not gonna say that word again is this is this unfixable is this an unfixable situation with the roster as it currently stands yeah it might be unfixable I just don't see it on an individual basis I don't want to write anybody off but you you're basically just picking names out of a hat and then hoping that you get lucky that a guy takes that next step and becomes a uh, average or above average major league relief pitcher. And the rotating cast, uh, looking at this reverse alphabetically, Zamora, Rame, Pounders, who, who's there because they traded for him and put him right on the active roster. Uh, Peterson, if you want to, Consider them relief options. Oswaltz, Flexen, uh, O'Rourke, Nogasek, Hanhold, Kanyo, <laughs> Font, Bachelor, Luis Avalon still on the roster, apparently. I forgot. Yeah, that actually <laughs> came up on, on this week's A Pot of Their Own, where Maggie admitted she did not remember he was on the team until that exact moment. Nice. Because apparently he had been... He had been 
uh, hurt and then started throwing, or was supposed to start throwing three weeks ago, but no one has heard from him since. Yeah, for some reason I thought he was DFA'd, but... He might have been and then accepted a minor league assignment. Yeah, that that's possible. But he's on the uh, he's still on the page with the forty. Whatever the case. Yeah. All of those names, I I don't know. I don't think there's any way to turn all those names into something serviceable. And Familia getting an injured list stint for General's shoulder stuff is pretty much exactly what I would have done in that time and place too, with just terrible performance and no real option other than to say uh, he's kind of hurt yeah so yeah if if it were a couple of weeks ago and we were discussing the same thing i'd say sign keichel and tell one of the starters he's in the bullpen now i still don't know if that makes the bullpen all that much better um i would have said sign kimbrell but yeah, that that's the thing. Even with Kimbrel, you and if they even if they had him from opening day, uh, it would obviously be a better situation. But bullpens are seven or eight guys, and he could have helped spread the load out in terms of high leverage innings and maintaining rest for himself and Edwin Diaz and Familia and Zuno. and everything, but. Right. Um, but yeah, they they just thought that you didn't need seven major league relievers, and you do. You you need the worst guy in your bullpen to be capable of giving you one or two innings with a really slim chance that he's going to get destroyed. And that just, they're the opposite of that right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying every team's seventh reliever is great, but just we're going to send this guy out there. Let's say we're down three runs. It's the fifth or sixth inning. Our starter's done. We don't want to burn our best guys, but this guy's going to go out there and nine times out of 10, he's going to do okay. And when he does poorly, it's not like seven or eight runs. And uh yeah, they're just they're they're so far from there. So So I, I have one suggestion that I don't particularly like, but I think it's creative. And I have to give a tip of the hat to uh to one of our sister shows uh from Complex to Queens, because this was discussed a little bit on their show this week, which was the idea that this is actually the ideal time to bring up Anthony Kay because if he comes up and is not ready at all and totally eats it, that's a really good excuse to then be sellers. To say, like, even our reserves aren't going to do it for us this year. Let's, 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 let's get what we can for these spare parts. Right. Or, if he does well, it could be the kick in the ass that the team needs to maybe put together a good week or two, and then all of a sudden things don't look so bleak. If you did bring K up right now, instead of Walker Lockett for tomorrow's game against the Cubs, uh, you could instantly move 
a starting pitcher to the bullpen if you wanted to. You could give Syndergaard a longer period of time between starts, you know, to let him rest up from his, uh, you know, his minor injury that that took him out of the game the other night. It would just give your team a little bit more flexibility in the short term. It would also answer some questions for this season. I don't think if Kay came up and struggled, anybody would think, well, there goes his prospect status or anything like that. You know, he's he's still brand new, brand spanking new to AAA. But it would it would give you enough. It would shut everybody up from saying like, oh, if they only brought up K, everything will be fine. It would it would give an answer for this season, for that. If you give K, you know, three or four starts, and you see what he's made of right now, and you lengthen your bullpen a bit by doing it, and. Again, I think it would just be instructive for the rest of the season and maybe even for next season if you could see the type of player that K could be. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable. It's, I guess the counter-argument would just be, do you risk messing him up? Are you bringing him up too early? That kind of thing. But I, I think from a standpoint of a major league roster, it's a, a sound approach and i also don't think that there's necessarily that much risk of ruining him by doing it but isn't it way more pressure to bring him up if you're two games out of the wild card in september 1st oh yeah (laughs) what if you're what if you're clinging to a wild card spot in the last week of the season that sounds like a good time for a major league debut as the mets have done <laughs> yeah exactly so this way and you can even say to him like look we don't under better circumstances we would not be bringing you up until later this season or even next season but we're in a bind here so we want to see if you can be a spark for us and if it doesn't work out that's okay i don't see what the what the real harm there is but i also don't expect the mets to do this Right. No, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just it's a sorry state of affairs right now. Luckily for the for the team, their offense has not been a sorry state of affairs, specifically the offensive prowess of Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto, who, you know, I I think we're all identifying those three as the guys that you're going to be building around for the future, especially with. Brandon Nimmo possibly being a much more serious, having a much more serious neck injury than originally considered. And uh, I'm not quite ready to buy into J.D. Davis, everyday player just yet. So, you know, those are the players that we all sort of hoped would be the breakout stars of the season. And it looks like that is indeed happening. So is there one of the three of them that's particularly impressing you right now? Or you're free to just gush about all three of them if you like. Uh, (laughs) Full disclosure, I have uh, at least uh, both of my fantasy teams have at least two of them. Or (laughs) no, have have exactly two of them. Uh, It's Alonzo and Conforto on one and McNeil and Conforto on the other. Uh, That's also what's frustrating. Not only that we spent the whole offseason – harping on things that were obvious that the team ignored, but the fact that they have, and I know that DeGrom's getting close to a sub-three ERA in his normal level of awesomeness, 
Uh, you know, the 2018 level was just something that would be hard for anybody to match. But, and I know Syndergaard hasn't been quite his most dominant self, but still, you have DeGrom, Syndergaard, and three young hitters uh, who are hitting extremely well. And Conforto just kind of does it quietly. Even the the video they did was all about McNeil and Alonzo and the All-Star game and votes. And I know there are a lot of good outfielders out there, but Conforto is really right up there. He's still one of the better hitters in the game. Uh, so to have those kinds of two starting pitchers, Edwin Diaz and three young hitters like that, and still be so short of having a roster that looks never mind dominant, but just capable of being a team with a winning record. That that's really frustrating, but yeah, Alonzo, I mean, this is like, it's Stanton-esque power. And you have to kind of remind yourself of that sometimes because when you've seen that kind of player play for a rival for so long, I think you might even hesitate to say, Oh wait, this is our guy really that, that kind of guy is he on that level, but man, he hit a home run when Cespedes was just a home run derby participant and hadn't been a Met yet and everything. And he hit a home run into the third deck in the home run derby. It floored people and rightfully so. Yeah. And Alonzo hits the, it didn't go quite as far as those Cespedes ones did in the derby, but it, but it um, was, it wasn't during batting practice either. Right. It was during a real game and it went almost as far. Uh, I think when those types of things start happening, you can, you can, uh, you can let yourself, you can let that apprehension go and say, you know what, he's got that kind of raw power, and uh, and I think he established that sooner than that. But it's just, as a Mets fan, you have to remind yourself that occasionally things are good, and you know, Pete Alonso deserves to go to the All Star game, whether the team is good or terrible or mediocre leading terrible which is i guess where they are right now yeah um i mean i think all those guys you mentioned are exciting i I think rosario has had a weird year this year but i think that there's been some signs of hope for rosario and i think that the mets they're 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 the guys that have played the field for them there have been very few people that have played multiple innings for the Mets this year in the field that haven't done something that's impressed and sustained that for the most part. I mean, even Todd Frazier. Frazier came back cold as ice and is looking halfway decent now. Ramos came out of his slump, kind of? I'm not ready to call Ramos totally out of his out of his slump just yet. But, you know, they've they've hung around because their entire offensive side of the roster has been workable but can you imagine how bad this team would be if you pulled alonso mcneil and uh conforto out of the lineup for any extended period of time yeah (laughs) unfortunately i can yeah i mean just i think it was called the 2003 4 or 11 12 13 (laughs) 14 mets yeah something along those lines but Yeah. yeah Yeah, your point is a good one. You know, it's just it's it's been nice to see them. And you know, and and I have to also say just good for Dom Smith. 
Good for Dom. <laughs> I don't know what to say about him. He just seems like he's a he's a good dude, and he took a lot of shit unfairly for a long time, including from me. I'm I'm not gonna say I was I was ever a Dom Smith believer, but he's proving to be an an, a, a, an effective and somewhat useful player, and so good for him. Yeah. Hey Chris, guess what? What? We got an email. Oh, all right. This is from Mark. It says, love the podcast. Here's a question slash discussion item for this week. I think the best approach to the trade deadline would be to unshackle the team from this past offseason's poor signings. This could be done by attaching a player with no value to somebody another team might want. For example, teams inquiring on Wheeler can take Familia in the package. I would be happier seeing salary freed up to try again next year than going back from more of the same marginal 4A guys, quad A guys, rather, uh, the Mets traded for the last couple of seasons. What do you think? Can we trade the entire bullpen, Sands, Lugo, and Diaz all at once? <laughs> oh, I wish we could. Mark, do I wish we could? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to hear uh Mets fan expressed a desire to dump salary in trades after that was something people strongly reacted against. Right, yeah. Um not necessarily saying it's wrong. It's just it's a different perspective than we had on on trades. I mean, where it stands right now, it sure would be nice if you said you had to take Familia to get Wheeler, but Wheeler's got to be a lot better than he's been to make that kind of demand. And I think the Mets would have to eat a considerable chunk of Familia's salary. Yeah. If only because Familia signed to a three-year deal. Right. You know, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, and aside from Familia, I don't know what other bullpen arm would even have, aside from Diaz or Lugo, who we're not going to trade, I don't know who else even gets the other team to pause for a moment and consider the deal. Gazelman, maybe? Maybe? Yeah. I just don't know. I mean, you know, sure. I, I guess you could say, theoretically, you know, hey, uh, you know, um, twins, if you want Zach Wheeler, you got to take, insert three shitty relievers here with him. But to me, because all those guys have options... It doesn't make sense to dump them for similarly useless players rather than just stash them in the minor leagues and hope one of them figures it out, right? If it was, if there is the option to trade Wheeler and get a frontline prospect or get a really competent lefty specialist, let's say, or, you know, some sort of bullpen piece that is that is not just a flyer, then I say... Sure, get rid of your your Walter Lockett's, your Tyler Bachelors, your uh, you know um, Jacob Rames, etc. But if you're just going to be getting the new version of those players, I don't think that's really a much of a. I don't really see the value in that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a situation that sure you'd love to get rid of that stuff, but I don't know. At the end of the day, if Familia's contract is gone, does that mean the Wilpons are going to put $10 million towards somebody who's better? Even in an ideal scenario where you get rid of it at all uh, under these circumstances? 
And I just don't have confidence that they would do it. No, I think that, you know, if you wanted to get the most return from your investment on a trade, I don't know if if packaging a Familia with a Wheeler is the way to do that. I think... I mean, I'm probably overselling our own guys here, but I think that, you know, look, if somebody comes to you tomorrow and offers you anything decent for Vargas, I think you have to take that trade. I think if anybody comes to you offering anything decent for Frazier, you have to take that trade. Echeverria, um, any of the guys that are, you know, that that don't really have a role on this team beyond this season. Um, I don't know how much you're going to get for those guys, but I think you have to listen and, and take those deals possibly because, you know, while I don't think they're going to get the next version of Zach Wheeler for three months of Todd Frazier, if they got the next version of, um, I don't know, washed up Met Latroy Hawkins, I'd take that. Uh, he was pretty good in that that time. Yeah, you know, um, if you're gonna give, you know, a uh, I, I don't even know. The problem is the Mets just need so much bullpen help right now. At the only example thing I think for are them for trading for bullpen help, but the entire league needs bullpen help. So they're not gonna get you're you're not gonna get Mark Melanson for Todd Frazier. It's not gonna yeah, happen. I think, I think one of my favorite things about this stretch has been that just before it, Mickey Calloway expressed confidence in his bullpen. <laughs> and then during it, he's actually just been saying, uh, the bullpen has been really bad and uh, that's a huge problem for us and it's got to be better. And all that, uh, I just love, I like the quick turnaround from yeah. that. Yeah. Um, let's say unsupported optimistic claim. <laughs> Go for it. You know, it was uh, it was just not. There's no reason anybody would think that they'd have confidence in the bullpen. But go for it, Mickey. At least say that, right? I mean, I, I can't really for all the shit I get mad at Mickey Callaway for. I can't really fault him for that. Right? Yeah. No. No. But just the fact that he chose to frame it that way. Yeah. And then it just has gone so poorly immediately after. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's our Mickey. Um, well, we, we've been sufficiently, uh, you know, depressing for this, uh, for this week. Let's get to our music recommendations where maybe we can have a little more joy, uh, in there. Who are you listening to this week, Chris? Uh, so I'll go with an Australian band. Very, very on, on brand for you. Yeah. Unsurprising. <laughs> And I, I will say that I'm I haven't listened to the album enough to know exactly where I'll land on it in the long term. But uh, it's a band of I forget if they're all sisters. I think they might be, but it's certainly a band of all women from Australia called Stonefield. Uh, we had seen them a couple of times live last year. Uh, they're coming around with King Gizzard this year on that tour, and. I think King Gizzard produced this record with them. I don't know if it was all seven guys in the band or <laughs> or, or some part of it, but uh, the, the album's called Bent. It's definitely a little bit of a different sound. They put out a record last year 
that had a very Black Sabbath-y sound, especially on the first few songs. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I enjoy that record, too. Uh, so this one's just a little bit different, and I'm putting it out there uh, as sort of a tentative, optimistic recommendation. Uh, it's a band that I think is, is worth checking out, and this record may or may not end up being something that I listen to a, a ton, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a little uneasiness in in making a recommendation, so... Yeah, more Australian music uh, per capita. They're <laughs> they're doing pretty pretty well for a relatively uh, small country, population wise. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to uh, recommend an album that comes out on Friday, but I'm going to wait till next week to do that. Um, so I'm going to recommend a, an album I'm listening to a lot lately that I I, th- I think you I, I can't imagine you're not a fan of this album. Because right. of the personnel involved with it. But it's the self-titled Loose Fur album. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff Tweedy and Glenn Kochi from Wilco, along with producer slash bass player Jim O'Rourke, um, who is maybe my favorite living musician in terms of just how he... Like, I, I would love to be in a band with Jim O'Rourke. I think he brings amazing stuff to whatever he sits down to do. Um, not my favorite songwriter or, like, singer or... Whatever, but just like a band member, I don't think, I don't think you can go wrong with Jim O'Rourke. Um, but this first Loose Fur album begins with Laminated Cat, which is which has become a Wilco song, sort of yeah. in their live show, you know, for years now. But uh, just an amazing song, very sort of droney and uh, abstract and really gorgeous. And the whole album is just a very... Um, it's an album you can kind of get lost in a little bit. A lot of things repeat quite a bit and just create these like uh trance like drones i don't mean like trance music i just mean like the repeated riff over and over again just kind of puts you into a trance and um glenn kochi is just such an amazing drummer and really does some great stuff here and i think that uh o'rourke and tweedy's voices are so different than one another that when they're when they're on the same album it just creates a really really nice variety to the to the vocals, even though th- there's not a ton of vocals on this album, the, their their next album, Born Again in the USA, which is almost as good, I think, as this one, has more vocals than than this one does. Um, but both albums are really good. the The rumor is they've already recorded a third album, but just haven't mixed it yet. Ah. If that's the case, please get on that, yeah, uh, folks, because <laughs> it's been. Uh, 13 years since the last one. So let's get on that. I, uh, to be fair, we probably shouldn't be complaining about the musical output of uh, Jeff Tweedy. Uh, yeah. It's, he, uh... The guy puts out a lot of records. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> um, but I think there's something really, really unique about these three playing together. And, and you you hear these three. There are a couple of songs on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, the, the 2001 local record that... Um, there's one thousand two. I don't know when it actually came out because it was supposed to come out in one, but then their label, etc. Anyway, um, a couple of songs on th- on that album that are more or less just the loose fur trio that they stripped away a lot of the other players' stuff. Like I know "Poor Places" is almost entirely just these three guys, um, 
So yeah, Lucifer, self-titled 2003 album. Get it on Drag City Records. I dig it. Do you have a a preferred Lucifer album? Uh, Probably the second one, only because... um... Uh, what's the name? Sparks. Uh, Pretty Sparks. Yeah, only just because that song's so great. But Laminated Cat is also uh, awesome. Um, but yeah, I'd probably go with with Born Again in the USA. But it's, it's uh, there's no wrong answer to that question. No, especially because each album is just about like 37, 38 minutes long. So you can put them both on back to back, and it doesn't take up too much of your day. Yeah. <laughs> it actually makes a nice like double album. So yeah, yeah, that is a good call. Well, thank you, folks, for listening. Check out those albums. Try and uh, excuse me. Try and not get too depressed about the Mets right now. There, there are still good things happening in the world. It's warm outside. Beer still exists. <laughs> you know, don't don't let the uh, don't let the Mets bring you down too much. But. Uh, Please check out the rest of our podcasts on Amazing Avenue, uh, as well as our game recaps, our news, our analysis, all that fun stuff. You can find the the site and and the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can go to um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Grab this show, rate, review, and subscribe to it. That's a big, big help to us. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And uh, until next week, when we hopefully have a much, much better attitude about things, let's go Mets.